Blog Talk Radio. Radio, and this is Patty Holtran, and we are on live, and it's Sunday. Sunday, yeah, I know. Can you believe it? It is Sunday. I'm winding down from the weekend, and we're looking forward to, you know, what's coming up. So let's talk quickly for the what's coming up before we start the show. We've got a lot of things coming up. This next Wednesday, we'll be talking about com- the Comic and Media Expo. Be interviewing uh, those participants that are working there and letting you know everything that they're going to have coming up, and it's going to be an exciting weekend. It's coming up, so that's leading into the actual weekend. So on Friday, the seventeenth, the Comic Meeting Expo opens to the public at one p.m. and that is right downtown Mesa at the Convention Center on Center and Main. Well, closer to First Street, but let's not get you know technical here. So, start at one one p.m. on on Friday the seventeenth, and goes until Sunday until crazy time. Yeah, <laughs> seven p.m. until seven p.m. on Sunday night. So, you know, come on out and see us. Uh, we're going to be in the dealer room. Uh, we've got a booth in there. Go look for the wad. W-O-D, not W-A-D, not WADA. You know, WADA is the name of the turtle, okay? So you're looking for WAD, W-O-D. And we'll be there. Um, We've got newspapers. We'll be talking to people. We'll be signing you guys up for uh, free giveaways. And then on the 18th, along with us, we'll be working, uh, covering the media there. Uh, it'll also be Zombie Day over at Barnes & Noble on Metro Center. Metro Center at 10235 North Metro Parkway in Phoenix. That's Metro Center. We're excited to have everybody on board. And uh, that's from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And, of course, our good friend T.M. Williams will be signing the Apocalypse book. We're excited for that. Um, also, again, we'll be out... Uh, we'll have to figure out what we're going to do about the show for next next Sunday, but we'll be here. And newspapers will be out again the week after that. And then the weekend of uh, the 24th and 25th and 26th is Wild Western Festival in Glendale. Yeehaw! We're going to be out there talking to people, doing interviews, taking names, shooting people. I don't know. We'll just we'll we'll take a six pack or something. Uh, then on Saturday, the 25th, is Zombie zombie Walk 6. So get on your plastic paper things on your face and come on out and have some fun. And that's uh, obviously at dusk. We'll be walking through the middle of Phoenix. And, and the zombie patrol will be out following us. Make sure that we, that, you know, those zombies don't get gnarly and get outside of their perimeter. 
that would be just havoc. Uh, hey Girl Show is going to be on the 22nd. That's going to be at the Ice House Tavern, and that's at 3855 East Thomas Road, Phoenix. And that is from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Of course, that is this music galore. You've got to see it. Seriously. So get out of the Ice House Tavern. Um, the, the Ice House Tavern is behind where the ice rink is. And, yes, that's where the hockey pucks actually slam against the window. It's always a good time there. Reminds me of, I don't know, I don't know, reminds me of a movie. Worst thing to slam it up against this. The screen. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, then on the 31st, of course, uh, we're talking about uh, Halloween. Okay, back in my Halloween here. On the 29th on Wednesday, we'll have KWOD Radio. We're talking about the Fear Con and what we'll be doing out there at 5.30. On the 31st through November 2nd is Tuscan in, in Tucson. I try to say that, Tuscan and Tucson, Sci-Fi Fantasy Fest, and then also the setup on the October 31st for FearCon. That's going on starting at noon. I just got the word, starting at noon on the 31st, and going until Sunday. I'm sorry, I made that wrong. It's actually on November 1st, set up, so it's open starting at noon on Saturday, November 1st, until midnight. So we're going long and hard that day. So from noon to midnight. And then on Sunday, same thing. I think I believe that's going to be 10 to midnight. So, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a gnarly weekend. It's going to be a gnarly rest of the month. And then, of course, we've got Tucson Comic Con, which will be out and they're talking to uh, we'll also be giving free free giveaways. FearCon will be in the back 40 right next to the food court. Woo! So grab yourself something to eat and come on over and say hi to us. Again, the WAD will be out there. You know, and Tucson Comic Con, same thing. We'll have books for sale. We'll have things to give away. We'll have the Wheel of Daring so you can spend for your prize. And uh, that will be out in Tucson. On the 8th and 9th. After that, you know, I'm just going to say, woo. Okay. We'll be covering the cops ghost hunting. That's cops ghost hunting on November 14th, so get your tickets. We'll be out there actually covering with uh, video. So maybe we'll get lucky and actually see some spooks. Wouldn't that be cool? So without further ado, we're going to talk to, we're talking to Al. Who's right here, ready to go? If he's not this tough, so we've already got our first. Just let me tell you how this all works, okay? Uh, this is live, so you actually can call in. There's a guest call in number seven one four two four two five one four five, and that's right up at the top of the information about the show seven one four two four two five one four five. Please understand that this is a space settlement show. Yeah, we're selling space. So, <laughs> Al wants to say it's man space life. Okay. Yeah, so, Al, tell us what we can actually talk about if we call in. There are so many topics related to space. There's 
astronomy, astrology, to a certain extent. There is settlement. There is um, uh, uh, photographs. There's there's so many different things. There's geology. Um, you want to talk about life in space? Fine. We'll talk about life in space. Yeah. It'll be fine. Well, well, I could talk about prepping. Uh-huh. Because I, I said that we wanted to talk to our preppers today. Right. And I think that, you know, so preppers need to know, hey, you can get prepared for more than just the apocalypse. Well, sure. And and, and anyway, so, this, so the focus is about manned spaceflight news on our program. We don't look at fancy, beautiful, gorgeous pictures from NASA or any other astrophotographer. It is fun. It's enjoyable to do. We don't talk about religious topics here. Yeah. We stay away from religion. We're more focused because those are more um, belief-based and philosophical in nature. We try to stay away from those. We're trying to track and follow the news and facts that science has shown us in the real progress towards manned space flight. And not just manned space flight, but as it hinges on getting to the point where we can actually go there. I'm tired of sitting on a sideline. Yeah. I mean, it's about time that we got the chance <laughs> to go. So, so it's asked, we know what our rules are, and so you can call in and we'll talk, you know, talk to us about these things. Um, also, let you know, at, on the chat, down below the show information, is the actual uh, articles that Al is going to be talking about and the links I put up right you know, as, as he's talking about them. So you can click on them. Or copy and paste them all and look at them later at your leisure. So yeah. here we go. We've got the first one already up. We've talked about uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology Professor Davin Newman several times on our show as she has um, proffered and talked to uh, the community about the spacesuit design that she's been working on for now several years, a decade actually. Um, but she is the professor of astronautics and aeronautics at MIT, and she is being vetted for the deputy administrator position at NASA. Now, this is exciting because this is this is a woman who has done some serious research and serious directions toward actually putting people in space. Um, one of the the just wonderful experts and and a real strong proponent of uh, getting people into space and just the the fact that she's being considered for the NASA deputy position is exciting um, so keep uh, keep an eye out on this lady I mean she's come a long way um, in what she's been doing and the things she's working on uh, good luck to you Deva hope you make the hope you get there we could use your voice at NASA next up MIT uh, puts has put out an analysis uh, the paints a bleak picture for the Mars One concept. Do you remember the Mars One concept we yeah. talked about? Yeah. This is a, a, a Mars settlement idea uh, to send people on one-way missions to establish a settlement. And they actually looked at this, and the team brought up some, some important points. Um, go read the article. Check it out. Um, but there are there are two links that we gave you. Um, check them out. Uh, one, um, the where am I at here? Okay, I got a little lost. 
Um, the first link is the article that got my attention on Space News, um, and it gives you a, a good, good, good stub and sends you to the. Oh, there's a more button down towards the bottom. Click on that link, and it'll send you to the other article with the actual uh, report in it. And they pointed out some some important issues. Um, where Mars One states that there's no major developments or inventions are needed, does not necessarily withstand scrutiny, and the assessments is only for the habitation, life support, resource utilization, and space transportation technology. Now that covers a wide area. I'll tell you, it covers a wide area of things. But there are questions um, they did not address for required systems such as entry, descent, and landing, the power system architecture, service orbit, communication strategy. And this is just the first in, in a list of several items that they're challenging to a certain degree that perhaps Mars One hasn't developed far enough. And so uh, some interesting reading. Uh, check it out. Uh, some uh, very good points that they make. And also be sure to read the comments on these things because they talk about a lot of interesting points that um, may have been missed by the MI team that did the review and analysis. The thing of it is, you know, it, it creates discussion, gets us thinking, and makes us realize, of course, Mars One's been around for a couple of years, two, three years now at least, and even though they've got some great ideas, um, they've run into a few stumbling blocks. So anyway, moving on. All right. Earlier this month, um, <laughs> we had... Um, NASA, in fact, a couple of weeks ago, NASA made the announcement of the two vendors to provide commercial crew um, taxi service to the International Space Station. Boeing and SpaceX were awarded that contract back in, I think it was the 16th of September or something like that. Um, however, yeah, 16th of September, NASA, back on October 1st, just two weeks after the initial contract, responded to a request from the GAO, that's Government Accounting Office, that they need to take another look at it uh, because Sierra Nevada decided to challenge the decision. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, I've seen several articles on, on the decision and so forth. Um, lots of good reading, lots of information to consider. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out, especially on October 1st, NASA tells Boeing and SpaceX to stop. Stop what? Working on the contract stuff, working on their taxis under the contract and stop spending money and stop doing designs and stop doing work and, and so forth because they needed to wait until the thing with Sierra Nevada came into play. Well, okay, now it's a week later. And NASA decides Thursday to proceed with commercial crew transportation capability, CCT cap. Contracts awarded to the Boeing and SpaceX. So now it tells them to move along and get her done. <laughs> and, and, of course, this reasoning is, is that they're on a timetable. And even if a reevaluation of the Sierra Nevada exclusion from the contract is uh, up and coming, 
they still need to make progress on the contractees that they have now. So, and speaking of contract crew capsules, NASA has released new collectible cards. There's a Can set you of. Have a with it? <laughs> I don't think so. So, what do they look like? Well, I haven't seen the pictures yet, but the three-card set uh, is offering for free as downloadable PDFs. So how does this make them collectible? I've got no if idea. If anybody can, can print them, how does this make them collectible? You know, so I don't know. Um, they, they're downloadable PDFs, include the Launch America art that was um, revealed at the announcement of the contract. And their goal is to complete certification of the crew transportation systems in 2017. And these, of course, are PR. These are a PR game. There are people like There's, you who keep every single PDF in your computer. Oh, no. I, I, I routinely go through and I get rid of a boatload of stuff. It's either outdated or, or, or so forth. I'm pretty selective. Mm -hmm. I, I download a lot, mm -hmm. but I don't keep a lot of them. Okay. You know, I, I'm, I'm selective. So check out your... <clears throat> collectible, NASA collectible space taxi cards. <laughs> uh, I think it's interesting. It really is. It'll, it collectible highlights uh, Boeing CST-100, SpaceX Crew Dragon, and NASA's commercial crew program that you can print and share with your friends. Enjoy, folks. Um, next up, of course, we, we made mention a few moments ago, Dream Chaser from Sierra Nevada. He's now looking at different and alternative launch systems. They've uh, joined forces with Strato Launch System. Now, I don't, I don't know if many of you remember, Strato Launch is uh, the uh, Mr. Allen from Microsoft, formerly of Microsoft, um, has uh, funded, along with some others, the one of the largest aircraft to be built. Um, it's modeled at least in concept on the Virgin Galactic spaceship uh, uh, SMS Eve, the carrier craft that they do, but they're going to actually launch rockets from under the wing. <laughs> big rockets. I mean, wow. we're talking rockets big under enough to launch wing? under the wing. Well, you know, it's got that double fuselage. No, I didn't. Okay, so you've got, it's, it's kind of like the old P-38 from uh, World War II, only big. Well, do you get to drop them? Huh? They should track the bombs. Uh, P-38 was a fighter. Oh, okay. So you don't know your aircraft history at all. No. But anyway, it looks like the, 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 the VMS Eve, um, the, the Spaceship Two, and all that. The, the, yeah, these are, these are wide body, these are big aircraft that carry big loads up to high altitude. Then they release the, the, the load, and in uh, Virgin Galactic's case, they release, they'll release Spaceship Two, It'll then go up into the suborbital space and then return by flying back to Earth. In the case of Stratolaunch, they're going to build a bigger twin fuselage aircraft of built out of two 747 fuselages. Of made it together. Well, either way. The idea is to get the rocket up high enough into the air so that it doesn't have to expend that much energy to get into orbit. Well, yeah, that's not <laughs> Oh, come on. <laughs> But anyway, check out the article. Uh, some good information there as well. 
Then we have a, uh, a new article that talks about uh, private inflatable room is launching to the space station next year. We get to see the Bigelow inflatable. expandable. This is well, yeah. This is the expandable uh, activity module from Bigelow. It looks like a hand grenade. Well, the picture is kind of weird, but that's an artist concept. <laughs> but I, I've been a big fan of Bigelow. Bigelow took uh, Bigelow Aerospace purchased the rights to the TransHab from back in the 80s, yeah, yeah. which was NASA's original idea for uh, inflatable modules mm -hmm. that potentially could go into the space station. Bigelow has actually completed their product cycle. They now have an a launchable, ready-to-go, inflatable habitat capable of supporting six people for a period of time to orbit with better... It's a better module. It's a better module than a metal one. Holds more volume, uh, launches with less energy, uh, expands. It uh, protects against more radiation and more uh, of the space debris, micrometeorites. than a space balloon. It's a space balloon in every sense of the way. So what they did is Bigelow contracted, or NASA contracted with Bigelow to create a test module that will actually be docked to the space station, and they will use it as a small room uh, to test the inflatable technology and so forth. They're paying Bigelow $17.8 million to send the module to the station, where it'll be in place for at least a couple of years. Wow. So that's, that's going to be exciting because NASA finally is getting around to connecting with the inflatable stuff. Uh, from what I've read, it's all around a better technology than the metal modules. Um, the next question is, is, well, will it last as long? Well, that, that only time will tell. Yeah. But I know that their uh, prototype mo two modules been up since 06 and 07. That's seven years. I, I'm just not sure yeah. about inflatable. So we'll see. You just don't like any latex below, do you? No. Don't trust the dang things. No. Yeah. Yeah, I know you can. I mean, you're up in space, for goodness sakes. <laughs> New news uh, in photovoltaics. Oh no, not photovoltaics. This is uh, getting hydrogen fuel from sunlight and water. And actually, yeah, it is a little bit about photovoltaics. What they've been able to do is uh, they've created a method to produce hydrogen fuel from sunlight and water at 12.3% conversion a record using earth abundant materials instead of expensive rare metals. Now, they used a pair of solar cells made with a mineral called perovskite and low-cost electrodes to create an electrolyzer that separates the water molecules into oxygen gas and hydrogen gas. Now, the interesting thing about this is, is that the high efficiency they're getting is based on a characteristic of perovskite cells that operate generate an open circuit voltage greater than one volt. Now, silicon solar cells, the ones we see all over everywhere, rooftops, parking lots, on cars, on, on models, everything, those are all silicon solar cells. And they're, they they stop producing at 0.7 volts. Did you say on models? Yeah, they got model cars out with silicon solar cells. But pretty much the maximum you can get out of a single cell, or at least these cells, is about 0.7 volts. So
So in order to get the output voltage to do real work, you've got to connect them together in series or parallel or both in order to get the voltage and the amperage that will actually do real work. Now what these guys have done is they have uh, almost, um, actually better than doubled that, because it takes 1.7 volts to uh, to get water electrolysis to occur. So that's twice that's that's over twice the voltage that a standard silicon cell is capable of producing normally. But here's the thing: it's not just that they've got a greater voltage out of the cells. Perovskite is much less expensive to acquire. Here's the other thing. Another thing. Silicon solar cells are just now getting into um, the 20% efficiency range. These perovskite cells are running at 12.3% efficiency after only a couple of years. And keep in mind, I remember learning a little bit about silicon solar cells back in high school in the 70s. We're talking 40, 40 years ago. And after 40 years, we're getting to 20% efficiency, and these guys with the perovskite are getting up to 12% um, efficiency, so they say, within a couple of years, which is exciting. If they succeed, it'll be awesome, because it'll mean far less square footage required for solar panel installations, uh, presumably less cost, because materials are, are easier to work with, blah, 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 and all that kind of good stuff. So exciting stuff there, harvesting hydrogen fuel from sunlight and water at a lower cost. So that's that's cool. Also, um, they got an interesting article of a crystalline material absorbs 160 times more oxygen than in the air around you. Now, they're saying roughly 10 liters of this crystal is enough to suck up all the oxygen in a room, according to its developer, Christine McKenzie, professor of uh, Department of Physics, Chemistry and Pharmacy at the University of Southern Denmark. A few grains might absorb enough oxygen from the water around a diver for normal breathing, and lung patients could scrap their heavy oxygen tanks, she says. You know, this I, could be interesting. You know what I call that? What's that? Super sucker. Oh, you just had to go there, didn't you? You just had to go there. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> one of the interesting one of the other interesting things about not only does it suck up the oxygen, but it's actually a storage medium as well. By applying just a little bit of a heat, you can then release that oxygen back into the air. And that would be coming pretty handy where there's no oxygen. Well, or in a situation where you're in a, in a capsule in space and you need a very tight uh, volume to store your oxygen in. Well, yeah. You capture it, you store up the canister, send it up to, to, to orbit, and refill your, your canister, apply a little heat, and it spits out oxygen. It'd, it'd be awesome. You know, so it's a lot of cool stuff going on um, recently. So keep it up, guys. Keep it up. Um, moving on, um, yeah, two we got, um, now i got to catch up on my browser here. <laughs> <laughs> we, 
Waypoint 2 partners with Final Frontier Design for commercial astronaut training spacesuits. Waypoint 2 Space announced partnership with Final Frontier Design that will integrate FFD spacesuit designs with Waypoint's innovative EVA training systems in support of Waypoint's FAA safety-approved commercial space training program. Now, just to give you an idea here, um, if I understand correctly, I believe Waypoint is the same company um, that develops the training suits for NASA. And I think they, is it Final Frontier Design? That's what it says. What, uh, shoot, now I forgot my notes. But this is kind of cool because they're going to combine their efforts, come up with hopefully some some better stuff, and a commercial astronaut training space. This, so this is really exciting because this opens the door to hopefully some mass-produced suits that could bring the cost of these suits down, at least for training, so the commercial customers could uh, get a hold of them and be able to do something. So that's, that's really exciting. I'm looking forward to, to seeing that. Um, next up, NASA. Is funding research on deep sleep for space. Now, keep in mind, what they're talking about is something I've mentioned before on this show, and this is, it's, it's called um, medical-induced torpor. Now, torpor is kind of a, it's, it's a deep sleep, almost, uh, almost a coma. Not quite, but almost. Then they come with a better word than that. It's a medical term. It's probably Latin or Greek or something. Okay. Um, but the idea is is that you can actually put people under. I mean, I mean, um, you can put people under for for extended periods of time. Now, what they're talking about right now is that um, placing humans in torpor, a state in which metabolic physical activity is drastically slowed down, and they've developed a three-stage system. Step one. They sedate you. Um, step two is to physically lower the body temperature by about 10 degrees. And then third, um, cooling pads. Wait a minute, where are we have? And once in torpor, the subject took into an intravenous drip that supplies their body with all the nutrients needed to keep them alive. Now, theoretically, okay. Great way to diet. Well, that could be. That could be. Um, but what they've done is they've reportedly managed to keep a person in stasis for a week. But even so, there's still much work to be done before the technology is ready for prime time. But i got to tell you, you know, there's an opening here to do a lot of stuff. You know, if people were in this torpor, the three-day trip to the ISS, you could carry more people because you could pack them into little, um, much smaller spaces. You wouldn't have to have space Vac suits. Vacuum and cap. Vacuum. Vacuum packed, hell, vacuum packed people. Vacuum packed people, just about. And then just put more air in and turn them back on again. Yeah, there you go. Well, not so much <laughs> the air, but yeah. Well, hey, here you go. Combine the last two stories. You know, take this oxygen sucker thingy. Yeah, I know. And, okay. and it's got to be cold to work. It's yeah, got to be cold yeah. to work. Okay. So, as, so, so you get these thing? people into the torpor. 
the deep sleep. And then once they're in deep sleep, you turn on the oxygen thingy by getting it down to the temperature. Uh-huh. And it sucks out all the oxygen while they're on IVs. And then while while they don't need that much air, you leave just enough in the capsule to, to work. You can carry more people in one capsule. Because like you say, you could pack in more people if they're not using the air, the water, and the food. You know, that seven-person capsule going to, to the ISS could pack maybe 14. Or who knows, 21 people in there. If we stand them up and put them up, right? If you stand them up in corners and, you, you know, hang you them up. hang them up and keep them cool. And, you know, I mean, keeping them cool would be easier to do, too. Well, yeah, I mean, they already have to reduce their temperature anyway. Right. Yeah, just some cool ideas there, but... This is exciting tech. We're we're looking forward to see how this turns out. I've seen a few other articles um, over the last year or two about this, uh, but this one is is interesting in that uh, it's not really true cryostasis or hibernation. It is a short-term stasis. So it's really meant for Mars. No, and and they talk about in the in. That's a good first step. It's a good first step, and. Um, Engineering. You know, we got to start somewhere. You can't just jump right well, into Mars. Well, yeah, and, and you know one of the things that. Um, I don't care what they say. Absolutely, and we're going to keep this up. We're going to come back to this for the commentary here in uh, in just a few minutes because I, I really want to talk about these two things and how they might actually um, affect um, what we want to do to get not only from to the moon but also to Mars. And for those of you who who might be new listeners and haven't figured it out yet, I'm not just a, I'm not just a fan about getting to Mars or getting to the moon. I'm a fan of doing both. I believe that we need to do both and that we also need to have three other targets after that. Um, Ganymede, Callisto at Jupiter, and then out at Saturn, we need to go to Titan. We should set all five of these targets with a plan that says how to get to them and how to survive on them. Absolutely. Some way that we can get there. And this this technology plus the compact oxygen provides two tools that if we can develop them strongly enough, then um, we could take these things. And we'll talk a little bit more about some, you know, really out there ideas that (laughs) could take advantage of these in the near future. Um, from our opportunities to participate, check out the links. We, we put them up every every week. You've got the uh, Mars Society, Mars Desert Research Station. The Mars Rover competition was held this last year. I understand they will be announcing a new competition coming up soon um, uh, as the an- annual cycle rolls around. The Mars Initiative, um, we got, oh, and the Celestials, you know, i got to find their website. we got to check out. For next week, we need to find out what their status is. If they've released I all the beers, I only found old information. So yeah, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to check find an update on that. Yeah, Mr. Radio um, Man. Let's take a brief break. Brief break. Station identification notes, okay. things like that. And when we come back, we're gonna go into our commentary section. Okay. This is Patty Holter, and this is K Rod Radio, and we're going to let's talk briefly about our our uh, sponsors for this particular show. Without you guys, you know, we wouldn't be here. Well, we'd be here, but we just wouldn't enjoy doing it for, you know, as much as we do. (laughs) 
So we've got uh, yeah, uh, we've got two coming up uh, conventions, and um, SphereCon is one of our sponsors. And we'd like to say on number first and second. Uh, again, FearCon is, is right there next to Halloween. So that weekend's going to be just packed with all sorts of frightening things. And, uh, you know, it's going to be right there, Fear Farm, you know, uh, 99th Street and McDowell, 99th Avenue. Sorry, 99th Avenue, McDowell. That's way out there, but you know what? you got to be out there in order to actually find any farms around here anymore. So if you actually want a real fair farm, which is the real fair farm, uh, then that's your thing. You need to you need to go out there and find us out there at Fear Farm. Uh and the Fear Con is right in Fear Farm. So it's gonna be a crazy weekend. So they're one of our sponsors as well as Imperial Outpost, um, our you know, one stop gaming center. And uh, go talk to Darren out there. Hey Darren. We they've got everything you possibly want in multiple rooms. He's got lots of space for you guys to play, and you know if you need to order something, he's there for you all the time. So definitely get out there, and and that's on uh, Thunderbird Road and 58th, 58th and 59th Avenue. So go on out and say hi to Darren. And say, Patty sent you from KWAD Radio. So with that, uh, of course, we've got uh, AZ Publishing that is uh, sponsoring our show. And the WAD itself, our newspaper, is sponsoring your show. And, uh, oh, I'll just throw it up. Cowboy Zen, Cowgirl Cowgirl Zen Photography. Uh, Our good friend over there, Song River, can help you out with your... With any event you have, or any any kind of you know promotional uh, uh, promotional photography you'd like to do uh, for your business, or for your pleasure, or for just the fun of it, um, definitely you know give her a call and find her on Facebook, Cow Girls and Photography, and that's Song River. I think you know how to spell that. You can find her, no problem. So with that, we're going to take a brief. Uh, and as well, we're going to throw up here. First, we're going to do an advertising with our Hey Girl show. And we'll be right back. Why don't you come on out to the Hey Girls Americana radio show, hosted by Song River and Carol Pacey of Carol Pacey and the Honey Shakers. All coming to you live on KWOD Independent Internet Radio, broadcasting from the Ice House Tavern in Phoenix, Arizona. All sound recorded and mixed by Vintage Note Records. To come on out, check out the show, and then visit the website at blogtalkradio.com backslash KWOD radio. We'll see y'all out there.
Well, I tell you, I wouldn't mind listening to that while looking at the earth while I'm on the moon. That's a great song for that. And with that, we are KWAD Radio. This is Patty Hiltrain, and we're on live with Alan Joe. Talking about the new space, or next space. Next space. Here we go. Welcome back, folks. Tonight, I ran into an article, or this week I ran into an article um, posted on Slate.com. It's entitled, and we've got the link up, right? You get the link up yet? Or uh, the bioethics bio one. It's down in the commentary. Oh, there's no link there. Oh, my bad. Goodness, goodness, I'm goodness. Away. I'm going like, what are we talking about? Okay, okay. I forgot to put the link in the show script. Oops. Okay, there it is. Refresh and you'll see it. Sorry about that. Okay. Bioethics. Now, for those of us great unwashed, bioethics is... Um, well, it's kind of rules for behaving, rules for doing stuff. Yeah, that doesn't work very well, does it? Well, <laughs> ethics is is it's kind of what's right and wrong, what's good or bad, what's what's considered to be appropriate for a given situation. It's how we make hard decisions in life. Now, as we go into this, this introduction to bioethics, they they look at in brief. Um, reproducing in space, lifeboat problems, and other ethical quandaries that could arise if we travel to Mars. Now, um, of course, some of the obvious things that we can imagine going wrong are, um, you know, getting getting the hull pierced by a micrometeorite on the way to Mars. If you're past the halfway point, you're pretty much dead in the water, or you're dead in space. I mean, you will not survive the trip back. So, um, these are challenging questions to ask, but I, I, I want to put them in perspective. Okay? The article in its in its subtitle says reproducing. Here you go, guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. The article says reproducing in space. We all have, we should have a pretty good understanding of that. You know, you're going to copulate and have make babies. Okay, fine. Uh, the next question is lifeboat problems. Now, lifeboat problems are you have a disaster has occurred, and if you do not sacrifice somebody, the rest, everybody dies. Yeah. Classic questions oh, that came situation. up. Yeah, an old crap situation where somebody dies or you all die. Right. So and those are. Ethics become a whole different ballgame. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and uh, other quandaries that... And eating other people. Well, there's that. <laughs> Although, hopefully, we can avoid that. Hopefully, we can avoid um, that. There's, there's this whole thing about sex and, and kids. And, and, you know, one of the biggest things I've heard is, is, well, do we really want to expose our children to the radiation and temperature and, and hazards of life? And we'll come back to that to that question in a few moments. Um, and then there are questions of sexuality amongst astronauts. Do we send heterosexual or homosexual or, or gay or whatever you want to call or it? Or should it matter? Or should it matter? Exactly. Um, and then there's psychology and privacy. The privacy on a ship, yeah. cramped ship, going to Mars, you're talking six-month minimum 
travel time. So there's there's lots of ethical questions to um, ask do you, and do you, answer. Do you share a vacuum packed uh, bag with somebody when you're in hydro <laughs> in hydrostasis or sure. And and then there's laws and 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 discrimination. You know, if somebody disobeys the rules of the group, yeah. if there's five of you going to Mars or four, and one of them breaks the rules to the point they put everybody in danger, what are you going to do? You don't have a jail. Yeah, we just shoot them. You know, no, you don't want to shoot them. And the skin's thin enough. The skin to the ship is thin enough. If you miss, you all die. Yeah. Or if the bullet goes all the way through it. I don't like the balloon situation. Those balloons are self-healing, by the way. Yeah, not before you start getting problems. <laughs> and then there are other other questions of of ethics, biological, um, bioethics, such as uh, uh, enhancements to people, uh, whether it be genetic, whether it be um, uh, 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 artificial components and arms and atoms, skin, yeah, or yeah. skin. You know, all of these potential wonderful technologies create the question of ethics choices that need to be made. And yet, and yet, I am reminded. I recently did some research for a book that looked at the history um, or at least the history of, of three specific migrations that all kind of compare to what we're talking about in going to Mars, the, the moon, Mars, or even further out to, to uh, uh, Ganymede or Callisto or further out to Saturn at Titan. And the questions, I think, will arise in the same way that perhaps they may have for the Europeans in the 1600s as they looked at coming to the New World. Columbus had to deal with these flat earth people who said, you'll fall off the end if you go too far. What's your good time? I think it's tomorrow's Columbus Day, isn't it? Tomorrow is Columbus Day, absolutely. Good time to bring that up. Um, and it wasn't just him. Uh, Magellan faced some of these uh, issues, sure. although he was further down the pike. But... Many of the explorers of those days struggled with getting people to fund their uh, shipping campaigns sure. because they them. wanted to go west instead of around well, Africa. Like they kept saying that they were going to fall off the planet. Right. You know. Which is pretty highfalutin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they believed that, you know, the world was in ground. Well, yeah. And yet, they still ran into the same problems at that time in history in Europe that they also ran into in in the colonies as it was uh, before the 1800s expansion to the west. Yeah. The same kind of they issues were being... Although they did, well, that did happen in some cases. Yeah, and there were issues with the populations in Europe in the 1700s in between these two migrations where they started sending people to Australia. And a lot of the issues, now there they started with prisoners. Um, and if you think about it, slaves and prisoners, they were all transported pretty much the same way. 
you had this tiny little cubicle that that um, you you almost packed them in like sardines. Yeah, they could have used vacuum tack and that. They could have used it, you know, to a point, assuming they could have gotten the people to not have to worry about the air, you know. Mm -hmm. But here's here's the point. When it comes to these bioethics questions, are these questions really ours to ask? Who are we to decide that a couple, male, 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 female, 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 who cares? Whatever is to be denied the opportunity to reproduce whether they're here on Earth or whether they're on Mars. Yeah, That's not our decision to make. talked about that before. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's kind of like the movie Jurassic Park where they thought that they could not reproduce and yet nature found a way. Nature will find a way. And, you know, one of the things is, is I, is, is I get a kick. I just laugh sometimes at... The lawyers and the scientists, lawyers and engineers, they think that they can re-engineer nature. And it just doesn't work that way. You cannot legislate nature any more than you can legislate human behavior. Those things happen through social pressures, not through legislation pressures. Yeah. Yeah. And crime's been with us. Just Prostitution has been with us from day one. And every single civilization has tried to legislate it, make it illegal, and get it out of the picture. And it's still with us. You cannot legislate human behavior. What is going to happen is going to happen to a degree. You can create social structures that encourage certain behaviors, yes. But you can't totally change things. No, you can't. Legislated. Right. When you look at our base nature, we're freaking rabbits. We are meat-eating rabbits. (laughs) Yeah, I know. You've got that picture in your brain, don't you? Yeah. That nasty, evil bunny rabbit with the great big, huge claw teeth, right? Yeah, I saw that too in my head. (laughs) But we are. We are meat-eating rabbits. We are. We are. Predatory creatures that breed like nothing else. And given the opportunity to do that breeding, which happens every time the pressure gets to a certain point. If it gets too cold outside, we stay indoors, and to stay warm, we couple. Yeah. And when we couple, we breed. Yeah. That's just that's what, that's who and what we are. That's just happens in the spring, you see. That's when spring babies come. Yeah. Exactly. And they they known this to be a fact. Every time they tap a, a, a power outage in New York, they always have more babies nine months from then. Right. Now, the other yeah, things yeah. they talk about, the lifeboat problems, the questions of, you know, if you have a catastrophe en route, how do you resolve that? And I honestly, I, I don't believe some of these things, I think, I think they're just going to happen. Well, let's talk briefly then about, you know, what happened with, Biggest light bulb problem, which we, we know have. They have rules on an actual vessel about who goes into light bulbs and who doesn't, how many should be in light bulbs and, and all that, based on the number or capacity of that ship. And yet, our biggest ship that it didn't work. It didn't work. Why? What happened? You had 
uh, lifeboats, non-lifeboats, to cover the non number of people that were in a ship. You had uh, lifeboats going out that didn't have capacity of the number of people who go. You had men who were paying to get into into lifeboats before the women and children. Well, that's true. Okay. What we face in going to Mars is much, much smaller crews. By lifeboat problems, we're addressing if you have a crew of four and your ship is punctured. And in the time it takes you to pass that leak, you lose enough air that if you all stay alive, you cannot make your destination, nor can you return home. We saw that with uh, Apollo 13. Apollo 13 struggled yeah. to fix a problem. They had that. While they chose not to even think about the lifeboat question, right. well, they, they solved yeah. the problem. They solved the problem, although he was ready that he, need, he knew it, he had to have to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it came to push a shove, and it almost came, became the problem of having to make that decision. Yeah. So, but he actually, I think, believe he chose to lose them all. Yeah. And so those are, those are, big decisions that will ultimately have to be made, but they will have to be made on ship. Right. And you cannot can't legislate it. You cannot make rules to judge such a decision because every situation is going to be different. Now, that being said, you can train people to make the best possible decision given the knowledge at hand. Well, yeah, you try to. And you can try to prepare for that kind of situation, but you're never really prepared. You never, you never prepare for the fear factor. No, you're not. The fear factor is when when people become weird, and they do, they make bad decisions. Yes, but what I'm trying to get to is something else. Human nature, being what it is, when you have a competitive situation, yeah, shit hits the fan. People turn on each other. Crap goes everywhere. <laughs> but when you've got a group of people who are determined, as was Apollo 13, they will fight till their dying breath to survive together. They will work together. In a small group, they will work together. We've seen this time and again through history. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, and yeah, when push comes to shove, everybody works together. On a common goal. Right. And that I think is where... Exactly. And that I think, I believe, in human nature, that that is one of our greatest qualities. And that is what will get whatever team is the first to go to Mars to make it. Whatever team is the first to go to Callisto and Ganymede and Titan. Those teams will face these most dire of questions. But there's something else that we're forgetting about these kinds of things. One of the things that I have um, challenged NASA on is is that um, the very things that, one of the things that I have said many times is that NASA spent so much time trying to um, reduce the risk to zero of life. You can't. You can't. And I want to refer back to what I've said before about the early migrations in the 1600s, 1700s, and 1800s, where people 
um, literally were stacked like sardines in the ships to get here. They were crammed in so tight that nearly 75% of those that tried to come to the New World, to Australia, uh, and move out west from the colonies, died in the process for whatever reason. Whether it was exposure, whether it was uh, conditions, whether it was illness, whether they just up and got tired and died. It happens. We will face these same challenges. And I believe it will happen in very much the same way as it did on all three of these prior migrations. That we are going to push out. People will face these problems. And those actually on the ship are going to be the ones to solve well, we to. or address those issues. And even if you try to uh, legislate it here, there's no way to get, keep them, you know, force that legislation when they're in space and, and up against the gun and trying to figure this out. Right. And, you know, we, we've had a comment that the very reason uh, these issues are the very reason that they trained each Apollo crew together. And uh, it's a great policy. They should be trained so that the legacy carries forward to each crew as they come forward. I know that to a certain degree... Um, there is common training uh, between, there was common training between space shuttle crews as well. Um, and I have no doubt that when we get into the space taxi, the, the crew cap program, they will also have shared training sessions that will help, again, to bring this legacy and carry it forward. But when we get into the point where we start being able to carry more than four or seven people, on a ship, we're going to have a whole new set of ethical questions sure. to address that we, that our technology, that our legislation will not have time to address. There just won't be time. Well, even if they do try, again, it's, it's irrelevant, really, when you get up there. Mm -hmm. uh, they'll have to make their own decisions based on the situation. Absolutely true. And here's a couple of things. From tonight's news reports, I want to share a couple of things. We talked about Two things tonight that I can actually um, mitigate to a certain degree some of these issues. Okay. Now, the very first thing is, is a trip to Mars takes a minimum of six months. You put, I don't care if it's, if it's three people or if it's 20 people in a ship in a cramped space for six months, one or two of them are going to go nuts. I guarantee it. <laughs> They're just going to go nuts. Just, just, I, just gonna I go nuts. I don't care what movie you're in. There's at least one that goes crazy. Okay? Goes crazy, gets okay. unstable, has problems. Yeah, you know, they start taking out people. They start to, you know, well, get weird on themselves. Or in a, in a less severe environment, they just start getting a little flaky. Yeah. Because the best not screening their part, which, which, yeah, the best yeah. screening is only as good as the screeners and the honesty of the person being screened. Yeah. Now, we have found many examples of people who can get through the screening that shouldn't have gotten through. Yeah, I've seen some I mean, we've had I military people yeah. go through a military base and blow people away. Now, uh, come on. Yeah, and, and they're trained. Yeah. And they're they're supposedly okay. trained not to do that type of thing. But anyway. And we, so, I, I worked with an employee once who took a lie detector test, you know, to, to get the job. Same one I took, and he got the job. Uh, he... Started drinking on the job the first day. I had to let him go, and he stole a bunch of beer on the way out the door. Right. So, 
and I you know find out that he had he had uh, a record of mile you know long as his arm from the cops that came in and took the information. How in the world did he possibly you know, get How did he get through the Yeah. So there you go. Right. And uh, yeah. Yeah, there's a good comment. All space and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Oh, or Jane, for that matter. Come or on, Jane let's, let's, let's not be discriminatory Jack here. Jack or Jane um, or Jill. Yeah. You know, Jack or Jill. There you well. go. You know, get a, get a guy in the middle of nowhere with snow all around and see what happens. There's, there's two technologies <laughs> we talked about tonight that are really exciting in what they offer for the potential for a trip to Mars. One is this new oxygen hoarding crystal. Um, one of the articles that we put up on a link talked about this one being the future of breathing underwater, in that 10 liters of this developed form of crystalline cobalt salt could steal air from a room and then be used to provide uh, oxygen to a breather underwater. Uh, it takes the whole idea of a rebreather to a whole new level, to a certain degree. Now, um, then you've got the second item, which was the uh, medically induced torpor. Now, here's the thing. When you put... You're never going to get over that word. No. Yeah, well, okay. We'll Let's call it torpor. hibernation. We'll Let call it... Torpor. Yeah, we'll <laughs> torpor. T-O-R-P-O-R. Come on, at least say it right for crying out loud. <laughs> torpor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, you like you, now you sound like you're trying to torment a mouse or something. Uh, so anyway, anyway, but here's here's something to think about. Here's an idea. We've got they've they've talked about a medically induced semi hibernation. Right. Cool you down, uh, ten degrees. They get you to um, put you in a hanger. They put they they put you in this. <laughs> oh no no no. We're not going there. None of them strings through the bone things out of that. that no. That, we're that, gonna, that, yeah. But that's but, but think about this. Here's Halloween coming. So there you go. Do you remember a few months ago you and I went to dinner at Cracker Barrel? And I spotted one of those little Chinese finger trap thingies made out of a tube that actually had water in it or something. And you put your fingers in each end of this tube, and you could get stuck if you tried to pull them out, just like the old paper version. You know, it was a Chinese water trap. Now, and I remember you just looked at me and rolled your eyebrows because all of a sudden I just said the word space, and you knew I was about to go off and on some weird tangent some somewhere. Weird tangent somewhere yeah. So we you have somewhere this and... think of this Chinese uh finger torture tube. Only scale it up <laughs> and grease it a little bit. Hey, what? Grease it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I like the way this is going. <laughs> you put your astronaut in a wetsuit yeah. and you slide him into this Tube of yeah, grease cool, them under to get them through the okay. grease them in just just a light lubrication, nothing heavy. You get them in, you you get them into the torpor sleep, the medically induced sleep. You cool them off. You bring them down to the point. You attach the IV, and um, <laughs> this ain't your mama's wet Vegas. <laughs> Um, you get them, we get them into the, the thing, and now what they're saying now is they can do this for a good week at a time. Okay. I'm sorry. You're saying what could be done this week at this a time? This medically medical oh, hibernation. Okay. I thought we were okay? just talking about medical. Medical hibernation. 
Okay. And basically a, a long six-foot water-filled tube that you stay dry, but the, the tube wraps around you, yeah. kind of like a, a womb. <laughs> and okay. you get in, you get your IV, you get your drugs. But how do we take them out of there? Well, you just release the water pressure a little bit, so you just slide out. I was thinking just, like a tube of toothpaste. No, nah, well, there's that, or you just pop them out like a zit. <laughs> but anyway, back to... you going wrong, man. The thing is, uh, you know, our, our uh, listener asked if the recovery time is worth the downtime. I'm not sure that they talked much about the recovery time. I don't think they know yet what, you know, because this, again, it's kind of new, isn't it? No, they don't. Um, and the thing of it is, you still and have... Again, it's a short term, by the this way. This is very short term. If you didn't hear the show earlier, short term, so... Right. The, the thing about the medically induced hibernation, the pseudo-hibernation, they don't, they still have a lot of questions to ask. They don't know about the recovery time coming out of it. Um, and, and if you're only talking a week, different people would respond differently. differently. So you'd have to have initial tests to do that. But let me get back to my concept of what I was suggesting. One of the things that could be done on a Mars trip where you're looking at a six-month vessel travel time, okay, you put part of the crew into this medical hibernation for a week at a time. Okay, and you have staged wake-up times. Now, theoretically speaking, of course, you can go into the coma, and you can come out fairly quick. Going into the coma is less than an hour's time. Okay, coming out of this this uh, hibernation probably might take an hour or two more to to get woken up and to to bring everything up. But they're not taking you down so cold. Um, that it would uh, be that difficult to recover from it. Now, when people have been in comas for a long time, some of the side effects are that because the muscles aren't being used, the muscles tend to atrophy. And this creates all sorts of problems because then the person, if they've been in a coma of six months or more, you're looking at uh, all sorts of rehabilitation to get their strength back up. Oh, yeah. Assuming they recover full with full access. So they're going to be, mm-hmm. like I said, they're going to be different. They're going to be in different things. But when we're talking... I'm letting everybody know what it is, again, that we're talking about. Yeah. Now, the oxygen thing also adds to this because... Right. Because if you combine the two techniques, if you're putting most of your crew to sleep for a week at a time in in cycles and you're rotating through this, um, you can reduce your oxygen load. And you reduce your food load, not only for what you have to carry, but if you have this capacity to put people into this deep sleep, if there is a catastrophe, you have a short-term alternative to get you to your destination and reduce the impact of your crew upon your environment. Well, this reminds me of of a movie. Um it reminds me of several that have had similar issues. Yeah. Well, the you know, Hal went crazy. And, right. And took out, you know, the funny thing is I hadn't seen that movie in such a long time. I forgot that, that Hal actually killed mm-hmm. the ones that were still asleep. 
Yeah. yeah astronauts are still asleep. He just turned off their machines. Right. So they died right in their stasis. So, mm-hmm. and well, you know, while that's a better way to go, I suppose, than how his uh, men who, who he was fighting with went up going. Um, right. It, you know, it does, it, again, things can happen. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, there there are, despite the redundancies that NASA has been, NASA and other agencies have been putting into their spacecraft, there will be glitches in computers that will create new and frustrating challenges. Mm-hmm. But I think the thing that I'm trying to get to overall is, first of all, the technology. The, the technologies do exist if we use them carefully and cautiously. It's not about trying to hibernate people for the whole six-month trip because i got to tell you, sleeping for six months is no picnic. No. We know that the human body, if left inactive for even three months at a time, creates huge problems. If you're in a hospital bed or suspended or however they take care of you, because your muscles do not get the stress that they need to remain healthy. And as such... And even your blood, you know. Exactly. Blood centers in order to keep you from getting, you know, Right. Exactly. So there are a host of issues... Um, so that's yeah. Well, and our, our listener says it's definitely one approach to handle the boredom in flight, but I think he's still a fan of giving everyone on the flight a job that relates to what they will be doing on Mars. It's going to be a trial and error for sure. Oh, Absolutely, yeah. and 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 I so think that's that why we say it's you, you know there is no guarantees. You cannot say that everyone's going to be safe. Right. Because something you know so, something bound to go wrong. There may be one of your uh, one of the people who just didn't make it through. Exactly. Who couldn't handle you know coming out of the stasis. And see, here's something where I, where I diverge from the current way of thinking in that people are rushing to get to Mars now, and yeah. I think that's a mistake. Yeah, we did. Um, these exactly the questions. These very issues answers. make it improbable for success. Right. The amount of energy that's going to be spent, and here's a good example. I'll use the example, Robonaut. Uh, most people may not know, but Robonaut is actually an, 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 a, a um, humanoid robotic unit that's been placed on the ISS. He's been up there almost two years now. And he's not really, he's still undergoing testing after two years. But keep in mind, development has been going on for 20, 30 years on Robonaut. You think he graduated and they right just, now? Well, and and they just talked about sending up a pair of legs for him. I think they launched him up either on the last one or the upcoming. You mean tell me the poor guy's got no legs? He's got no time. legs. Oh, he's got two yeah. arms. Uh, he's got the the head, the torso, the thing, so he can. He was designed to be able to work on the exterior things. But here's the thing: they've spent nearly 30 years building this one android, and he's only half an android. He hasn't got his legs yet. <laughs> Thirty years and all that money. Only half a man. He's half a bot. He's half a bot. Half a bot. Half a bot. Okay. That's not nice. And that goes. Okay. We are still twenty-five years away from them giving him reproductive capability. I was trying not to go there. Yeah. Well, we don't. We do not want him reproducing. 
yet. We yeah. got to get the humans there first, so we can breed like <laughs> like meat eating rabbits to stay ahead of the robots. <laughs> anyway, consider this. As like I, I, I want to wrap up here. I want to start getting to a wrap up point. I don't believe. <laughs> I do not yes, believe that we need to push for Mars until we have a proven technology that can survive on right, Mars. Right, because, I mean, these particular technologies we're talking about is for short term. We need something that's going to happen long term. You can't do it until we actually test it you know, going to the moon. Columbus's ship was incapable of carrying passengers or settlers to go to the New World. It was flat out incapable. The guy slept on deck. The seven people, or even four, as I think the current plan is, going to Mars is not enough people to assure survival. The numbers are not there. The technology is not there to protect them from the radiation. The technology is not there to carry enough food, enough fuel. It, it costs way too much. We need to hold off and develop in the same way that the settlement programs from Europe to the to the Americas developed a little bit at a time, sending small groups of people first. And then once they have something established, once they have processes, once they have uh, plans and, and techniques available to deal with the challenges that people deal on the other end, we need to have groups. Yeah. Four people, seven people is not enough for a Mars trip. No, we need not. to be going to it the moon first, and while on the moon, we need to develop the skills, the techniques, the technologies to survive in a hostile environment. The moon is far more hostile than Mars. Um, which would be a good test, then. Which would be a good, a good test. Now, I do disagree that unmanned launches to Mars um, and so forth to identify to to look at these things, I think there is a pioneering spirit within our nature, our curiosity, our indomitable nature to face the unknown. These are things that um, we have that no amount of robotics, with a multi, what is it, a 45-minute delay between Mars and Earth, or something like that, or hours, I can't remember what it is, but there's a substantial delay that you have to have a semi-autonomous unit on Mars. Right. And even then, it travels at light feet per day. Yeah, you need somebody who can make decisions. You've got, yeah, somebody's got to be there to make this whole. The idea of, of unmanned things, we've got rovers there. Yeah, They've done right. what can be done We're with remote done devices. This. Then they're done this. Yeah. It is time to focus first on orbit, yeah. then on the moon develop the techniques, the processes, the technology, build a cadre of people on the moon who are prepared to go to Mars. Not build them. Build a cadre of people. Build a group of people. Collect a group of people. And begin a pipeline that starts streaming people from Earth to orbit to the moon. We well, have... Look at how much more experience they will be if they live on the moon for a little bit. You know, year or two. Yeah. Will and find it, out well, a lot more information. well, here's the thing. There, there are also several things. Now, 
our, our listener says that uh, some would be willing to risk their lives for sure, but I think we could establish a safe location as a backup for the first crew. Well, that's the whole point of going to getting to orbit and establishing something bigger than the ISS first. Then once you've got a, uh, a, a space station for traveling more people through than just the seven or eight on the space station, then you go out and reach out to the moon. You've got to have way stations. You've got to have um, food established. So you've got to have food. You've got to have air. You've got to have fuel. And as we build these way stations, we will establish the infrastructure. Now, one other thing that people don't think about that is really going to be critical to this, and that is, is you've got to have private enterprise involved. They've got yeah. to be the ones at the vanguard. A lot of people don't realize that when the European settlers came to the Americas, that wasn't a government program. That was all 100% privately funded. The government didn't pay for a single settler to get to America. Now, they did pay. Uh, the Brits paid for all those pirates and criminals to go to Australia. But they didn't pay for all the business people, the vendors, and all the other folks to get there. All right. Now, the thing about it is, is a private enterprise has to have a reason to get into orbit. Now, some ideas that come to my mind are you get Bigelow to put his unit up there on a lease, a long-term lease, and you put six guys up there with um, jet ski personal tow ships. Okay, take a jet ski, take the gas motor out, put a rocket motor in, put an astronaut with a spacesuit on it, and have him go out there, and their job, those six guys' job, is to start salvaging stuff from orbit. Yeah. In the right. process, right, right, right. in the process, you put that space up space there. Debris. Space debris recovery. You put That's their station. Oh you, yeah, hold on a minute. Now, let me finish here. You get these trash collectors up there, these salvage guys. You get the salvage guys up there, and while they're doing the stuff around the space station, collecting trash and, and all this kind of good stuff, bringing it to their little thing, what can be salvaged gets salvaged. What can't be gets sent over to the ISS and sent down to Earth via packages. Okay? Now, once you've built a way to capture these satellites and perhaps even uh, restore a few of them to operation, which is indeed possible, okay, now you've got a business reason for people to be in orbit. Once you get the first crew up there and once they start making um, the, the case for business to operate in space, now you've got the potential to put up another station and have six more guys up there collecting trash. By this time, you start recycling the Dragons, Soyuz, and Cygnus that are going to be up there by then, or the CST-100s. And instead of burning up the Soyuz in the atmosphere, send them over to the salvage guys, have them build a ship yeah. capable of carrying enough people to go to the moon. Yeah. So that you build infrastructure. So, yeah, so you're, you're, again, you're not burning it up. It's, it's steps that you're exactly. taking to get you there. Yeah. We waste, I mean, a, a Soyuz costs millions of dollars to build. A Dragon is many, 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 many millions of dollars. We can no longer afford to waste these heavy resources. Yeah. 
The drone is designed for reuse. The CST-100 is designed for reuse. Finally. Sierra Nevada's space plane is designed for reuse. Yeah. But they're designed to go up to orbit and come come down. And our listener says, I was afraid I was going in the direction of the Red Bull Space Station Challenge. No. Um, and I'm glad you see where we're headed. But, you know, the thing is, the bottom line, if we're going to get to space as a people, we have to do it as a people the same way we've done it in history. Right. right. In groups. And in this particular Big case, groups. it's a good thing that, you know, we're following history. Doing the same thing we did before. Yeah, and, and that's going to be the biggest, the most important thing that we can possibly do. If we start by making a beachhead in orbit and then using that beachhead to get us to the moon, establishing a beachhead on the moon, and then on the moon we mine the water, the, the, the water ice, and we get hydrogen and we get oxygen for fuel, we can then build aquaponics units on on the moon to feed all the orbital locations. Right. And then, and then that, from that, you have food going to Mars. Right. Now, our listener asked an important question. Are there any international laws that cover space salvage that are recognized among space-faring nations? Yes and no. The 1967 Space Treaty and the follow-on treaties make yeah. it the responsibility of the owning nation for all the equipment up there. Salvage isn't necessarily an option. However, the you reality know, is... Well, here's the thing. <laughs> They've expended so much money on these things. Yeah. The reality is... And here's, here's, here's the thing that I keep coming up with. There's the legality of what we want to accomplish, and then there's the reality of what the universe gives us to work with. The legality is that legally these countries who put up these satellites or these parts or when China blew up a satellite, they are responsible for every single piece that went scattering across orbit. And any damage those pieces do, they're responsible to it under the 1967 treaty, I think. I would think so. I mean, right. They're responsible for whatever happens by what they put up in space. Now, that being said, is the U.S. going to go over to China and sue them for damages to their front window because China blew up a satellite two years ago, and now we've got a bolt that busted through the window of the cupola, and now they want China to pay for the repairs. Well, first of all, I'd like to know how in the world they actually identify it. <laughs> most, um, most parts that go up into a satellite are serialized. Yeah, but coming through the atmosphere, I doubt the much less of it. No, it's not in an atmosphere. There's no atmosphere up there. It's just open space. There's a little bit of dust there, but but most of it is sink. So, so, the legalities, the U.S. is not going to go sue China for something that damages the ISS. They're just they're going to plug forward. Well, you know what we should do? We should send the insurance companies after them. Yeah, like they're going to do any good in China. Anyway. Um, and so when it comes to salvage, I, I really don't think these companies are going to make a big stink about a group of people up in orbit who are capturing these satellites, ripping them apart for parts, and looking at reusing them and salvaging them and yeah. whatever, yeah. because well, they're not coming back to Earth. And besides the fact that it's an awful lot of junk up there, and it really is getting to be pretty busy. Mm-hmm. Might as well pull 
pull it down and right. you know, try to reuse what we can. Exactly. And I do think, though, that what... If our mess is there. So we're about out of time, but I want to I want to kind of wrap it all up. Yeah, we the whole idea here is if you take the medical-induced hibernation uh -huh. and you combine it with the oxygen thing right. and you then combine that with, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely too much for NORAD to track now. And, and even then they can only track so much. Um, if you take the medically-induced hibernation, which they can do for a week reasonably, right. and bring them out of it, and you tie that together with these new oxygen crystals yeah. that you can store and then reverse uh, and then extract oxygen from, you have the foundation for something that could actually be a sleeper ship to orbit, to the moon, and perhaps further out to Mars if you cycle the crew in and out of these hibernation units. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about something like a sized up Chinese finger tube that's basically a, a water tube um, that and here's the other thing: okay, if you've got to yeah. store water, why not store it around your crew member? I figure there's probably 20 gallons of water going to be in that tube that you're going to slide into, and you cool that water to the temperature you want the body to get to after you induce the coma. I, I don't even worry about that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there are all sorts of other things they're they could do. They're pretty, yeah, pretty clean stuff. Yeah, and but. Here's the thing. You can now fit more people yeah. into the craft at that point. Which is important. So, yeah, a lot of new technology coming through, different ideas, things we want people to think about. It's not necessarily high-tech all the time. Sometimes we need to look low-tech mm -hmm. to yeah. get the job done. Yeah. So with that, you're going to say goodbye? I'm going to say goodnight. we got an hour. we got a minute and 20 seconds left. Yep. And that gives me enough time to... We'll see you next time, folks. No, next be Sunday safe, we're going to do something. <laughs> be safe, be bad, and be good at it. Be good at it. See you next week. We'll be talking from uh, Comet Media Expo. This will be uh, at 7 o'clock. We'll be cheering down at that point. So we will see you guys out there. Uh, just to let everybody know, you can listen to the show in its entirety in about an hour. It will be... Regenerate, and you can uh, be all in. You can listen to it again from the very beginning. So, yeah, and, of course, uh, also the information in the chat. All of those links are exactly what we discussed, so copy and paste them and then take a look at them at your leisure as well. That way you have it. So this is KWOD Radio, and this is Patty Hillstrand signing out for the, for the evening. Have a great rest of the Sunday, and we'll see you guys again next Sunday. Thanks for listening to us this week. See you next time.